your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host, James Fox, alongside us as always. James, how you doing, man? How is everything? We're uh, embarking on one of the most critical stretches of the White Sox season yet again, part 72. <laughs> yes, like, I, you know, I went to the game Saturday night, got my Lance Lynn bobblehead, and yeah, it's probably my last one of the year unless they make the playoffs, but they actually won with me in attendance, so that that part was good. Yeah, they beat the Tigers, but can they beat the Astros in Cleveland and Baltimore? We'll find out, and if they don't, then this could very well be the end. Uh, <laughs> enough of that. All right, James, yeah, we have a lot on tap today, especially considering we're talking to Bill Mitchell. This is the first time we get to talk to Bill from Baseball America, who's focused on the White Sox, following all their prospects across the organization. First time we get to talk to him since the preseason. He'll uh, update us on Baseball America's top 30 list, which he heavily contributed to, as well as mention, hey man, there's a couple of top 100 prospects that are White Sox now, Colson Montgomery and Oscar Colas. Also, you know, what we already know, the opinion of Keith Law regarding Brian Ramos. And we asked Bill about Brian Ramos as well, Norhe Vera, a big-time name that's mentioned across maybe some of the top 150 prospect lists across the country at this point. So what I'm saying is there's some optimism at the top regarding White Sox Farm, and that means, James, with our top 30 list coming up at FutureSox.com, it means the listener needs to pay attention over the next couple of weeks because there's a lot of content. Yeah, so, I mean, it's obviously interesting. Like, Colson Montgomery is pretty much like a top 50 prospect in baseball. I don't think anybody really saw that coming necessarily not that like we thought it was a bad pick it's just you know he's from indiana and he didn't do the showcase circuit stuff and all the stuff that we talked about so that's like huge for the system and you know i was kind of wondering like when oscar colas would would make it onto one of these lists i mean he's been kind of torching birmingham and as we've talked about here like that kind of means you're pretty close to the big leagues so like we'll see there brian ramos like you mentioned keith law like that that's interesting. He could be on top 100 lists soon, you know, and then, you know, some of the differences I kind of feel like between us and what baseball America does. And when you hear Bill Mitchell, you know, on the podcast later, he'll kind of go into some of their like ranking practices. Right. But we don't really have to do that. Like we're not married to, you know, just like how we had some guys placed before, like in regards to the draft. Right. So, so you might see some differences between how we line up some of the newly acquired pitching compared to like how baseball America does it. So just keep that in mind in regards to Noah Schultz and Peyton Pallet and, and some of those guys. So those are some of the differences. And then obviously we get into Jose Rodriguez and Lenin Sosa, because I, you know, I think ranking those players is, it's a legitimate dilemma because you, you have to, you know, you, you look at ceiling for both guys, but you look at proximity to the majors and just, you know, you're not stat scouting, but you know, like Lenin Sosa's profile changed dramatically this year. And I just think like those things need to be accounted for. Speaking of the top 30, futuresocks.com will have it out for you. James and I sat down and figure things out. So it is complete. 
that list is ready to go. We're just preparing the full list and the breakdowns of everything so you're informed. So stay tuned to futuresocks.com and follow us on Twitter at futuresocks for all the updates. That's primarily where we post all of our information is Twitter. So we encourage you to do that and subscribe to our podcast, of course. If you, you haven't already, every Tuesday release an episode of the Future Sox podcast for you, part of the Blue Wire Network and also part of SoxMachine.com. James, some encouraging thoughts regarding Colson Montgomery, of course. But uh, let me throw this your way. You know, we're thinking about ranking West Cath on our list. And when we take a look at Baseball America, they're not as high on West Cath as others. And with the way that we felt about Cath as a draft pick at the early part of this season, it has kind of changed, I think, but we're still we're still pretty high on the player. It's just you can hear the apprehension in trying to figure out where to rank him in, in terms of ranking him higher. So I'm just wondering, James, what we can do with West Cath in our evaluations moving forward and, and how we can figure this out on our top 30 list in that player. Yeah, so I mean, he's just he's a little bit tough to rank. I mean, he was a second rounder last year with, you know, seemingly a lot of upside. But like, what has seemed to happen, like looking at him in Canapolis, like he has eleven homers, and he does have like almost a thirteen percent walk rate, which which is promising. Like over four hundred and seventeen plate appearances, but he's striking out at like a thirty four percent clip still, which isn't good. Right. Like the batting average isn't isn't great. It's 232. And, you know, like in the big leagues, it doesn't really matter a ton. But like looking at at prospects, you know, it's it's an indicator. So, you know, 103 WRC plus in Kannapolis, he likely stays there for the year. My biggest issue with West Cath is obviously like the strikeouts are, are not great, but it's just like the positional versatility. Right. Like this kid played shortstop in high school in Arizona. And it was like, Oh yeah, he'll definitely go to third. But like he, he just, you know, it it has to kind of stay at third because if he becomes a first baseman, this is something that we often talk about. He's really going to have to hit. So yeah, I I think when our list comes out and obviously the list is out at baseball America, he's going to be a little bit lower down than he was last year. But you know, one of the good things about taking prep players consistently is that like they just there's a lot of time. Like they take a lot of time, but there's also like a lot of time to rebound, right? Like it's easy to, you know, to improve when you're in the system and you're like 19 or 20. Like we we've seen it with with the international prospects too, right? Like there were times with Lenny and Sosa where he's not even on our top 30 like over the past couple of years. And then he does what he did in Birmingham and it's like, "Oh my god, like how is Lenny and Sosa only 22 years old?" Well, that happens when you, you know, you side at 16, like it gives you, it gives yourself a long runway. Before we introduce Bill, I want to throw three names at you, James, because they made their debuts in various levels of the organization. Two of them in Canapolis, one of them getting at bats in the ACL, Tim Elko. Got to shout out Tim Elko because just the profile is intriguing. A big power bat, a senior out of college, Ole Miss just mashes. So what if he mashes in the minors? Well, then you see him in the bigs and then two others, Jacob Burke, Jordan Sprinkle, debuting in Kannapolis. Initial thoughts of the decision to get those guys going in Kannapolis and then just any impressions of Tim Elko as a player? So Tim Elko is interesting. I mean, because he just like he's just going to hit bombs in the low minors. And like, look, I don't know if he's like going to make it to the big leagues or anything like that. But the, the thought of Tim Elko playing in Arizona just like humors me, right? Because he hit two homers in his debut. By the time this drops on Tuesday, 
he could have two more. Like, because like, I just feel like the league is, it's kind of pointless for him to be there, but they always send these guys for a small tune up. So like if Elko finished the year in Winston Salem and started next year in Birmingham, nobody should be surprised by that. That's like how advanced he is. And as a senior sign, like it, you know, it doesn't really matter. Just like kind of advance him through and see what you have. Um, Jordan Sprinkle and, and Jacob Burke did their brief cup of coffee in Arizona as well. My thought is like that, you know, the organization just felt like it wasn't necessary for them to be there any longer because they're too good. And there's a bunch of players in Arizona that need to play. Jordan Sprinkle, we've talked about a ton. Jacob Burke is interesting to me. And this is a guy who the White Sox gave $225,000 to in the 11th round. So they clearly like think highly of him. Center, big physical center fielder. Two to one strikeout to walk rate is not something that the White Sox typically draft, but they did with him. I heard the makeup is incredible. They just think he's a big physical outfielder with power. So um, he's interesting. He's another Miami guy. So, you know, it's it's kind of reminds me a little bit of Romy Gonzalez when Romy came out. It was the same thing. And Romy Gonzalez hit 10 homers like right away when he when he came in. I don't I don't know if Burke's going to do that, but Burke was the 11th round pick, but he was probably, I think he was sixth overall in bonus money for this draft, like for the Sox. So he's, uh, he's somebody to keep an eye on going forward. And the fact that he's already in Kannapolis is a positive development for him and Sprinkle. That's James Fox. You can follow him on Twitter at JamesFox917. I'm at Rankin906. If you're interested, also follow us on Twitter at FutureSox, all one word, just like the White Sox, but future in the front. James, we have Bill Mitchell to talk to you. Baseball America writer, top 30 list for the Chicago White Sox is updated at BaseballAmerica.com. Without further ado, here is Bill Mitchell. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash blue wire sports offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash blue wire sports. That's indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast indeed.com slash blue wire sports terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed. Pleased to welcome on Bill Mitchell of Baseball America. He focuses on the Chicago White Sox specifically for the site. And Baseball America did a couple of things. Well, more than that, but specifically a brand new top 120-22 prospect list as well as updated top 30 rankings across all of Major League Baseball. And Bill, first and foremost, welcome back. It's always so great to talk to you. James and I were talking about Baseball America's decision to consistently update the top 30 lists more so than just twice a year. How do you feel about the way Baseball America has executed that idea so far this year? 
it, it's uh, gone well. Uh, it gives us a chance to do a little more research during the season instead of waiting until the fall when, uh, at least in my point, at part, I'm busy with Instructional League and Fall League, and then all of a sudden I've got to write two uh, prospect reports and do the research. So we can uh, reach out to organization and to scouts throughout the year and get updates and, and start building a database of information. It's great to follow just the names that fluctuate over our 30-day span versus a 120-day span. It, it, it's very significant, and you get to see, like you said, the progress of a lot of these prospects in real time if you're subscribed to Baseball America, which I encourage you to do so. And Bill, the last time we talked to you, we were prepping for the preseason, and uh, the, the preseason top 30 list was released for the White Sox, but a lot's changed. And we're now into Mike Shirley's third draft class. Here we are late in the season, about a month left in the minor league year. And Baseball America releases another top 30. Before we get into the details of that, Bill, since the preseason to now, how do you feel like some of the White Sox have improved or changed their course of the timeline and development since you started covering this team again? Well, the fact that uh, there are now two White Sox now in the top 100, and especially the improvement of Colson Montgomery, that's a very positive sign. Earlier in the season, I was getting mixed reports on Oscar Colas. Some scouts liked him, some didn't. But obviously, he's, uh, uh, he's improved enough to uh, make it into the top 100. Norhe Vera finally got out uh, uh, to a, an affiliate, and I did get to see his only game he pitched in extended spring training, one inning. So I finally got to see him on the mound back in, I guess that was back in May, and uh, he looked very good, and his numbers have been good. So uh, uh, certainly I think he's a top 100 candidate down the line. Experiencing Norhe Vera in person for the first time, watching him pitch briefly, to be able to see him in person, what was it that stood out to you? Well, it's an easy delivery. It's easy velocity. Uh, I know uh, I was standing to the side right by where the opposing team was, and they were guessing that he was throwing 94. Uh, and I believe, if my memory's correct, he was up to 99 in that game. Uh, so uh, it's really easy velocity, a smooth delivery. Uh, right now, he just needs more game experience. Uh, and they were giving him a breather is the word we got. He hadn't, hasn't pitched in about eight or nine days. But I, in fact, I just saw online that he's supposed to pitch, uh, uh, I believe it's tomorrow. So he'll be back in the mound now in high A, and we'll just, uh, you know, we'll be able to continue to see how he does. The first guy, you know, that everybody talks about in this system, Colson Montgomery, obviously, you know, I think your list at Baseball America and I think MLB Pipeline, you guys were pretty close, like as far as like when Colson Montgomery finally became a top 100 prospect. But soon after that, for you guys, he really ascended like up into that top 50. Um, he's been a big riser for you guys. What have you liked about his season? And then did anything change about the profile that you weren't expecting? I mean, obviously, it was a 22nd pick in the draft, so it was highly regarded. But I don't think anybody expected him to be like a top 50 prospect in baseball at this point. I believe it was just the improvement that everyone thought he could make, and he did. He, he's got a very good plate awareness, and he's showing that now. At He showed it this year at two levels, handles the strike zone well. Uh, he uh, uses all fields, and we know that you know, we're pretty sure that he's going to get stronger and develop more over the, over the fence power. 
Uh, he's doing fine at shortstop. Uh, anytime you get a shortstop six, four or taller, uh, and I go back to Corey Seager and, you know, you, now we have O'Neill Cruz. Uh, everybody says, oh, they've got to move off shortstop. They're going to move off shortstop. And we're even getting that with Montgomery. People say, well, I don't know if he stays at shortstop, but then again, that's what I thought about Corey Seager 10 years ago. So, um, yeah, for now, he's a shortstop with uh, a lot of impressive tools. So uh, uh, there's a lot to like with Colson Montgomery. And the fact that after an injury in spring training and he missed some time uh, early on, uh, he's made up for that lost time. And, uh, you know, he's, he's showing what uh, everyone was hoping for. So I'm going to stick with some of those top names for now. I mean, Oscar Colas is a guy that we've been talking about here at Future Sox for years, I feel like. And look, he was a little bit of an unknown just because, you know, he sat for a while and, you know, he had some professional experience, but not really. And then he was, you know, OK at Winston. But we kind of heard that he had like some sort of hand or wrist injury that was kind of hurting him a little bit down there. He's really taken off in a small sample um, at AA Birmingham. He's ranked 99 for you guys now, I guess what, what went into that decision and then just like more broad, how soon could he help the White Sox? Do you think? Well, he's making contact uh, and that's important. Uh, and th- what's surprising with the reports uh, that we've been getting is how good his defense has been in center field, whether he stays in center field long-term is still to be determined. But I think the fact that uh, what he's done at Birmingham is, you know, help push him into the top 100. You know where he goes from here. We've got to see. It's we still have less than one year of professional experience to evaluate him on. So uh, I'm hoping they send him to the fall league and we get uh, a look at him against even more advanced pitching. And uh, uh, I think a lot will will be determined from that. And then how he does next year. Uh, often uh, the players coming off a long absence like this, uh, you know, especially Cuban players adjusting to playing baseball in the United States, their second season is often a lot better. So uh, we'll know a lot more about Oscar Colas next year at this time when we talk. For sure. Yeah, I hope he's in the fall league too. And he's obviously like a little bit older. So like there's really like I don't think there's any like service time concerns or anything like that. I just think, you know, the White Sox did promote Sosa from double A this year. I I don't think we're going to see him this year, but if he keeps doing this at Birmingham, you know, obviously I think the AFL would help. One, one question that I have for you in regards to this. So, and, it, and it's not just you guys at baseball America, but I think he came, you know, it's like 40 to 45 grade defense was like the projection. Right. But then he starts playing decently in center field. Like that, he should be better in right field, right? So, it, like, could it be like average defense in in right field potentially, or better than that? I believe it could be better. So, uh, like you said, the reports are surprising how well he's doing in center field. So, it, it stands reason that he should be able to be an above average defender if you put him in right field. So, Bill, sticking with Colas quickly, and you know, we know the history that you know he used to pitch. What I'm wondering from your perspective, if there's an evaluation that jumps out at you. Uh, what have you heard about the way he moves and what sticks out to you when he's putting his at-bats together at the plate? Well, he's taking good at-bats. Uh, that's uh, that's the important thing. And, and there's been a development as the season has gone on. Uh, as far as moving in the outfield, I think he's been better than expected. Uh, he's got, uh, you know, again, you said he was a pitcher, so uh, he will have the arm for right field. Uh, so, you know, overall, it's been a real positive season for his first year here. 
Brian Ramos, I think, you know, I think the top three in this system pretty much for everybody right now are the same. Montgomery, Colas, Brian Ramos. We've talked about Brian Ramos for years. You know, he's at high A and he's still only 20, I believe. And he's had a really good year with a lot of good indicators, you know, at the plate. Do you know how far away Brian Ramos is? Like just ballpark from like a top top 100 for you guys? Is he in that like 101 to 150 range or is it like a little bit further than that? Well, I'm not in, I don't uh, contribute to the top 100 uh, uh, conversation at Baseball America. That's all done by the full timers back in North Carolina. Uh, but uh, I believe, I, I don't know that he's real close to the top 100. There's still some scouts question what his ultimate role will be. Will he be more? Uh, there, there is a role as a big leaguer ahead for him. And he's always been young at every level he's played, uh, but will it be more of a bench bat? So, uh, you know, I think we need to see him continue to develop as he moves through the system, uh, you know, as he gets to double A and as he gets to triple A and what kind of player is he going to continue to be? You know, one thing I hear from the White Sox is they love his work ethic. They love his makeup. Uh, and in, to me, it sounds like he's the kind of guy who's going to continue to play above his tools uh, and the raw power is going to continue to, to come out. So I don't want to say how soon he'll be a top 100 candidate, but certainly I think uh, if he continues his development uh, like he has this year, I'm sure he's going to be in the conversation before, uh, you know, within next year or two. So, you know, one of the things I've kind of thought about Ramos was just that, like, how important it is for him to possibly to stay at third base. He could probably play left field, I would think, but but if for whatever reason it's ultimately like a first base profile, like he's going to have to really hit. So I just kind of feel like he has to stay at third if he can, like in order to, you know, live up to some of the lofty like expectations that the White Sox have for him. And I haven't heard any reports that uh, he can't stay at third base. And if you recall, they played him some at second base uh, earlier in his career, and he did okay there. You know, not great, but he did okay. But, uh, you know, for now, I think we can look at him as a long-term third baseman and, uh, you know, reevaluate if uh, he kind of plays himself off that position and has to go to first base or a corner outfield. So, Bill, a lot of the focus for us here at Future Sox is the rotation, White Sox want to develop starting pitching. They develop a number of names over the last three years in Matthew Thompson, Andrew Dahlquist, Jared Kelly, but fresh arms now into the system across the first five rounds, and all of them look very promising. I'm just curious what your evaluations are of the way the White Sox went about attacking the specific pitchers that they've added to their farm system. Uh, how quickly do you think any of them can develop, and we're talking about Jonathan Cannon and Peyton Paulette and Noah Schultz uh, within the system. Well, obviously the college pitchers are going to move faster, uh, but I like the mix that they uh, pick there. You know, and I haven't seen Paulette or Cannon. I, I don't know, you know, other than what uh, I've been able to read about them. Uh, I did see Noah Schultz last year in Perfect Game All American. And, uh, you know, six, nine left-hander, uh, is impressive, but obviously he's going to be much further away, uh, than the college pitchers they subsequently drafted. As far as, uh, you know, going pitcher heavy in a draft, it's never a bad thing to get a lot of pitching in your organization because more than any other position, there's a lot of attrition, uh, among pitchers. So you can never have too much pitching. And if you have too much, well, then it's, uh, gives you trade, uh, trade fodder. Yeah, I agree. I mean, just give me all the arms. I really enjoy evaluating pitching and some of the storylines across the last season plus surrounding Jared Kelly's development is 
you know, a lack of time on the professional bump due to injury, as well as some of the conditioning issues that have arisen. But it looks like he's starting to figure things out uh, to this point of his professional career. And it seems like he's slimming down just a tad. He looks pretty athletic on the bump over his last few starts. I'm trying to talk myself into all the optimism in Jared Kelly. What have you seen from him this year? Well, you know, every when I've talked to uh, scouts that have seen him, you know, the same thing is he's got to land his pitches better. He's got to command them. Uh, that's always going to be the big thing. Um, so uh, yeah, that, that's going to be his key and continuing to keep his body in good physical condition. And I know I talked to Chris Getz about him in uh, spring training. And, you know, Chris said, said, you know, I said, how was his conditioning off season? Because that day I saw him, he was wearing a baggy uniform. You know, you couldn't tell much. He said, you know, he's always going to be a big kid. You know, there's just no getting around that. But uh, as long as he can get to a point where, you know, it's not affecting his command and he's able to repeat his delivery, uh, you know, he'll be fine. And then there's the development of Matthew Thompson. And Thompson has separated himself from the pack of those 2019 uh, pitchers that the White Sox decided to invest in. What's the reason for Thompson's success so far now that he's pitching in Birmingham? Well, that's very interesting. I was, uh, you know, scouts that I've talked to have been kind of skeptical on Thompson. And so it's good to see him doing it. And, you know, he's been able to get into games deeper and uh, use his change up a little more and, and getting better command. Uh, those are, you know, and you could say that about just about any pitcher. If they can do those things, they're going to uh, succeed. Getting to his athleticism is a big thing. And because you know, I talk to scouts that say, yeah, he's really athletic, but he wasn't using his athleticism on the mound very well. So that's another big thing that, that's, that's obviously going to help him. So I'm going to take you back, you know, I'm going to keep it in the, in the pitching department, but I want to talk about those, those top three picks this year briefly. You know, when you go about ranking a new top 30 at Baseball America, and obviously, you know, you're going to be at Instructs and a lot of this stuff's going to change on future lists. But is it as simple as you looking at the, the BA top 500 and just like putting these guys in order? Or is there any thought that like, hey, you know, maybe Noah Schultz belongs up ahead of those two college arms? You guys didn't do that, obviously. But like what what goes into that ranking? Is it, is it as simple as just, you know, you, you put them in the order that they were in on the 500 and then you just like reevaluate once they actually pitch, or is it more than that? That's exactly what you, you said. In fact, when I first started doing this and plugging in draft picks, I had Noah Schultz ranked higher. And then in reviewing it with, uh, Josh Norris, who, uh, had done the white Sox in the past and, uh, uh, you know, has done this a, a lot. He said, uh, and you know he was he's in the office so he's connected with what we're trying to do he said no for this we're going to stick to the top 500 the rankings there until we get these guys in the field and see what they can do a lot of people at baseball america and spearheaded by carlos Calazo, put a lot of work into that top 500 and talked to a lot of scouting directors and scouts and uh people around the game so uh the decision was made that, uh, and this is the first time we've we've done this in the middle of the year and, and plugged them in right after the draft. But, um, you know, and we haven't, again, we haven't gotten to see Paulette or uh, Schultz or anybody on the mound yet, but uh, you know, keeping them in the order of that top 500 and not where they were drafted uh, was the decision made. So that's why you see them, you know, those three pitchers, especially in the top 10 in the order that uh, that they were in the top 500. So we're, you know, we're in the process of doing our list at, at Future Socks, our most recent one. And 
you know, one of the topics of discussion for us was just Jose Rodriguez and Lenin Sosa. And I, and I think like Rodriguez, if you look like the last six weeks at Birmingham, he he's been on a tear. Like I think he's figure he's figuring out double a finally, but the numbers overall, you know, have been underwhelming. You know, he's still 21 years old or whatever. Whereas Lenin Sosa, you know, repeated Birmingham, but really torched that level and is now in the big leagues. So, you know, you, you guys have Jose Rodriguez higher, which, you know, I, I have no qualms about the ranking. It's just, how do you, was that a debate like at all thinking about those two middle infielders together? And then how did you have to like maybe pivot with Sosa? Cause look, I mean, Sosa was, everybody knows where he was in the preseason and I don't think anybody was expecting him to have the season that he had at Birmingham, but I think it was like, you know, a real season at Birmingham. I mean, he was really, really good in double A. Yeah. And I think we want to see that continue from one season to the next. Uh, in the case of Rodriguez, uh, you know, and talking to my White Sox contacts in, in the organization, they really love, uh, I almost called him Julio Rodriguez. You'd like that, right? Uh, Jose Rodriguez. We'll take one of those. <laughs> Let's just call him J-Rod, the other J-Rod, the younger J-Rod. Uh, he's you know, uh, still very young to be at the double A level. And I, I've heard comments from scouts that they thought, you know, they were pushing him too quickly. He was too young to be at that level. Uh, but the, you know, the fact that he's coming on now starting to show a little uh, more plate di discipline and uh, playing a little more consistently, um, we kind of left and this is something Josh and I discussed, you know, should we have uh, Rodriguez that high uh, compared to Sosa? And we decided on this, you know, we're working in the draft picks on this version of the list, and we weren't going to juggle a whole lot other than, you know, we moved Coloss up uh, real high, uh, obviously. But, um, you know, we'll reevaluate that at the end of the year and see, okay, where should Rodriguez and Sosa be in comparison to each other? And, you know, and again, working in a lot of other players too. Bill, from what you gathered, why do the White Sox think so highly of Jose Rodriguez? I mean, just from yourself as an evaluator, probably speak on the physical tools and the skill set, but uh, what does the organization feel about him? They believe in the bat-to-ball skills. That's the probably one of the biggest things uh, that you know. There's future. You know, there's more development there uh, that can happen, and uh, just the way he plays the game too. Um, works hard. He plays hard. Uh, yeah, there's some flair to him. Um, but, uh, you know, they believe there's more in there than, than what we've seen in the numbers. So I, I, I really think that's a big thing, you know, and somebody who can stay in the middle infield. Yeah, we heard similar things about Brian Ramos and the fact uh, that his character speaks a lot in regards to his work ethic and his, his willingness to try to adapt to American culture. And with Jose Rodriguez's case, it sounds like he's working just as hard to get to that next level. And it's paid off as he's really playing, what is it, three and a half years younger than the average age of the of the players out in Birmingham in double A. Yeah. And that's pretty impressive. So yeah, shout out to Jose Rodriguez. The, the White Sox are doing pretty well for themselves regarding uh, infield talent in the farm system. I want to switch you back quickly to some of the arms and one of the arms that I'd love to talk to you about, one that's popped up on the top 30. And I want to make sure I get this right. Cole Simus was an undrafted free agent following the 2021 amateur draft. And now He's got a spot on the White Sox top 30, according to Baseball America. Can you give us a, a little scouting report on Cole Simus, the right-handed pitcher? Yeah, he was uh, very interesting. I think we, you know, in the previous uh, time going through this, we had moved him up. Uh, and now we've moved him up even a little more. Um, 
As far as Cole Simus, uh, again, a non-drafted guy, um, just kind of popped under the radar this year and has done well at two different levels. Um, strong four-pitch mix. I think that's what we like about him the most. Uh, you know, and he's commanding his, his pitches, uh, uh, you know, striking out more than uh, a batter an inning and, you know, a fastball in the mid-90s. So uh, there's a lot to like with him. Yeah, and I wanted to just follow up on that quickly because you mentioned a four-pitch mix. That gets me excited because as I was watching videos of Cole Simus, the thing that jumped out to me was his fastball. Seems like there's a lot of ride in that pitch. Also, his mechanics, not so much wonky, but just I'm curious how you feel like that can develop across his time now as a professional pitcher, if there's any issues at all. I don't believe there's any issues that we need to worry about. I think he just needs you know, he just more time and keep developing. Uh, you know, he's uh, while he was a college product, he's uh, still just 22. So, you know, there, there's plenty of development ahead for him. And what about the fastball? Am I wrong in my evaluation in seeing what I saw in the life that is his fastball? No, that's uh, and he uses it to attack hitters, and that's what what is good about it, you know uh, about Simus or Simus. Uh, not sure uh, the correct pronunciation. So now another pitcher, young Christian Mena, uh, as he joined the organization as a 17 year old. Uh, international signing and Mana is exceeding all expectations as a 19 year old pitching in advanced a the velocity is the only thing that we see is holding him back from being a legitimate top 10 player in this White Sox farm system potentially top five considering the success that he's had but also at future Sox, we feel like he can really translate as a starter because of the pitch mix and the poise the mechanics, everything is checking the boxes as we evaluate Christian Mena. So we're excited about him. How does Baseball America feel about him? I saw him last year in Arizona League. As far as velocity, he's still very slender. Uh, there's still a lot of projection with him. Uh, so uh, there, there is room for growth. Here's what I'm getting from scouts, though. One, one thing to watch out for is his uh, repertoire is very curveball heavy. He's going to need to rely on his fastball more and work in a changeup. That's the one concern scouts have. And when you're when you're throwing more curveballs and fastballs, there's an injury risk, and maybe that points to down the line he's a reliever. Uh, it's all part of development. Uh, he's done well. The White Sox are very high on him. They recommend we move him up higher. Uh, you know, we had him on the top 30 coming into the season. I think we've moved him up twice so far. So uh, the one thing to watch though is the use of his pitches and if he starts going to his fastball more often and you know it's a plus curveball and that's probably why he you know he's using it a lot uh, it's a swing and miss pitch but there probably needs to be more diversity and getting the the change up in there more often yeah i think what you mentioned is one reason why you know the white Sox promoted him to winston salem was because he was so good in Canapolis, but like a lot of it is because it was just breaking ball after breaking ball that guys were you know, and, and you know how low A is right now, Bill. It's like th there's a lot of guys in low A that probably shouldn't be in low A, but with the restructuring, it's the way it goes. So low A is what short season used to be, right? So I think I think they kind of felt like he wasn't being challenged down there, and he's not going to be able to pitch like that, like at higher levels. So well, he was right. 19. He's 19, getting promoted to high A. It's not something that we're used to seeing, you know. But I think that was just to maybe challenge him a little bit. So. Another recent international signing, you know, I know you mentioned to me privately just that 
Yohami Nolasco was scouts thought he was one of the better arms, like on the, you know, on the backfields or whatever. And you know, the numbers in Arizona haven't been great, but what, what can you tell me about Nolasco? Well, he's been inconsistent uh, in Arizona. He's had some really good outings and then and, and, uh, some not so good. And I've talked to scouts that have found that you, you'll see a scout that has seen him good and they'll rave about him. And somebody said, ah, I didn't see much. But uh, uh, the first time I saw him, uh, he had just come to the States during extended spring training. And one of their international directors happened to be at that game. And uh, he said, uh, yeah, this kid in Alaska is going to pitch today. Body-wise, he'll remind you of Tristan McKenzie because I think he's listed as 6'3", but I believe he's a little taller than that, uh, and I believe his weight uh, is listed at 160, and that's probably pretty close. He's got a fastball that uh, can get up to 94 or 95, uh, and, you know, obviously there's some projection there. He's just raw, and, you know, it's a real work in progress. It's just somebody to keep an eye on. We had him in the top 30 until we slid in draft picks, and, you know, that bumped him out. But, uh, uh, you know, certainly there's a good chance he'll he'll get back in the top 30 at some point. All right, so I need your help, too. So this is where – and I think you'll be able to answer it because you ranked him. But one of the questions that I get, and, you know, I've I've built myself up as somebody who follows the international market very closely and – you know, so I get a lot of these questions. Lloyd L. Chappelle is interesting for me, but how tough was this guy to rank? I mean, he's his numbers are insane, but he's playing as a twenty-year-old in the DSL. I mean, he obviously needs to be stateside. You guys have him in the you know the back half of the list. How did you go about ranking him? We're not connected with a lot of scouts down in the Dominican Republic, and and we know that he's old for that level, just like Norhe Vera was. Uh, last year and uh luis robert was old for the level so it's a little hard to evaluate based on stats uh so i talked to one of the uh international coordinators who uh i put a lot of stock into what he has to say and uh, and by the way he pronounced it uh, and of course he's bilingual he pronounced it chapay so because i was pronouncing it chapelli and you know but it's chapay but uh just uh, some of the way he described, uh, I thought this kid, you know, this is somebody I'm really eager to see in, in Structural League, assuming he comes uh, 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 he comes in, and they expect him to. But uh, I like little guys and uh, little guys that can play and that can hit. Uh, he's high energy. He's a plus runner, good back to, bat to ball skills. Uh, there is some pop in his bat. So it's somebody that I felt needed to be on on the radar. Uh, he's been strictly second base this year. Uh, in Cuba, he was more of an outfielder, but he's just played second base uh, so far in the DSL. We'll know more about him when we get more eyes on him, uh, hopefully uh, in another month, and I can really see what he looks like. But for now, I felt he, he needed a spot on that top 30. All right. Chapei. Did I get that right? Lodel Chapei. So. My Spanish isn't great, but uh, <laughs> you get the idea. Yeah, well, we tried. Uh, good stuff. Really good stuff, Bill. Really appreciate you taking the time here with us today at Future Sox. Uh, last one for me. We're trying to tell ourselves that the White Sox are not among the bottom three systems in the league, right, or in Major League Baseball. So can you give us some good news? How do you feel like the system has improved? Do you think they're out of the cellar coming up here uh, next year? 
Possibly, you know, I don't, I don't know enough about the other organizations. Uh, uh, you know, there are some very, <laughs> some also not real rich uh, farm systems. Uh, the positive sign is the growth at the top with uh, Montgomery moving up. Colas, uh, Vera will. It wouldn't surprise me to see him on the top hundred. And Ramos's continued uh, development. It's still kind of a thin system. You get to, to the uh, the back end and. Uh, you know, we're ranking guys or considering guys that wouldn't even be under consideration in other organizations. Um, also, you know, when we talk about Christian Mena, his improvement over the years and uh, over the past year, uh, you know, and we still have some pitchers on the top 30 that haven't done much uh, because of injury. Um, you know, I think Caleb Freeman is one. Um, I think we still have Jonathan Stever on there and he hasn't pitched at all this year. So I, once we get through the rest of the season, instructional league, fall league, see how guys do, I think we'll be able to evaluate better how the list looks beyond the top five players. And that's really the key then. Um, uh, you know, how much depth is there at, at the back end? Bill, in closing with you, you know, we just did a ton of draft shows. We did a bunch in the lead up. We did a, a few after just talking to people about the White Sox draft hall. And, you know, they took all the pictures at the top that – we've touched on and, you know, Jordan Sprinkle in the fourth round seems like an interesting gamble. And, you know, I think, you know, you, you never tell these things for years, but I think they did a pretty good job, like at least utilizing their bonus pool. How closely did you follow the draft class? And is there anybody that I haven't mentioned that you're particularly interested in maybe a, maybe a sleeper from the draft class before we close here? Well, I do have a name for you, but I'll add uh, Sprinkle, you know, coming into his college, uh, uh, I guess it's junior season at, at Santa Barbara, uh, he was a first-round talent, and the bat wasn't there. Uh, so getting him in the fourth round and hoping that you know you can develop that bat and get him back to where scouts thought he was a year ago, uh, I thought that was a very good pick. But I do have a deep sleeper for you, and I have to give credit to my uh, my friend John Kazanis, who is a longtime uh, White Sox scout uh, who always seems to find some sleeper. Uh, and I know just in talking to him this year, he was uh, saying, hey, Tanner Banks, I signed him years ago and he's in the big leagues now. It, it took a while, but um, there's a pitcher from Arizona. Uh, I believe it was Hamilton High School. It's Shane, Shane uh, Murphy, I Shane think. Shane Murphy, yeah. 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 His brother's Patrick Murphy uh, yeah, was a high pick from the Blue Jays and has had big league time. Um, we were all at the uh, state championship games. Uh, I was sitting with a bunch of scouts down the line. We're waiting for the next game to start. And this young man and his dad come over and are talking to all the scouts. So and then I asked uh, the guy I was sitting with, uh, okay, who is this? Uh, and he explained Shane Murphy. You know, he's uh, was at Chandler Gilbert Community College, uh, had uh, Tommy John surgery and, and came back this year and was up to about 90 uh, from the left side. So he hasn't pitched a lot since TJ. And it wasn't John Kazanis that mentioned to me. It was a scout from another organization. He said, you know, I think he could get back to 95 and some team is going to pop for him and in the hopes he can do that. It didn't, it didn't surprise me that, uh, that the White Sox took him and uh, can develop. And I know he wanted to do pro ball. That's what they said. Uh, yeah. And I think they signed for 125,000. But from what I was told, he probably would have signed for a lot less than that because he was ready to go pro. So uh, he's one to keep an eye on as, uh, you know, I'm sure he'll be in instructional league uh, and we'll, we'll get to see uh, how he looks now. And then after he's further removed from TJ, uh, whether the velocity comes back. So that's our sleeper for today. Yeah. So Mike, you know, John Kazanis, I feel like they draft 
a John Kazanis southpaw like every year, regardless of whether the draft is 20 rounds or 40 rounds. I mean, we meant he mentioned Tanner Banks. Avery Weems was one of those guys that was used in a trade. And then Gil Luna last year. So this is uh yeah, it's it's interesting that you know they, they always take a chance on a John Kazanis guy, it seems like. Bill Mitchell, Baseball America, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Love that you get firsthand accounts and perspective from scouts and professionals from all over the country. We really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, once we uh, get another update, let's do this again. James, that was really good insight from Bill. I mean, he provided some info that he was willing to share uh, that he heard from the White Sox themselves. And specifically, I'm thinking about Jose Rodriguez. The Sox think highly of him. Yeah, the Sox really like Jose Rodriguez. So that, I mean, that offers some insight into, you know, maybe why Rodriguez is ranked a little bit higher than Sosa for Baseball America. I mean, you know, he talked about how the organization kind of pushed Rodriguez and there were some scouts and people from other orgs that questioned that. You know, I think some of it was like in order to go to the Arizona Fall League, I think you need to have double A experience, I think. So like they sent him there last year to close. Um, He really struggled to start this year, but he's been on a you know, a torrid pace like the last six weeks. Like Jose Rodriguez has done some really good things. I think he's finally figured out Birmingham. If he's the shortstop in Charlotte to start 2023, that wouldn't surprise me. So yeah, that that's definitely a guy that the White Sox like a lot. And it seemed like, you know, I don't know if you were going to get to this, but Christian Mena too, somebody that we've talked about a lot, Bill pointed out that you know, the White Sox kind of reached out to Baseball America and said like, yeah, we think he should be higher. So higher than I think he's like 14 on their list. So that's interesting to me too. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up because it's not a small point. I mean, the fact that he's a 19-year-old pitching an advanced day may appear to be like, oh, you know, he's taking over the league. However, how it was explained to us in the podcast makes a lot of sense. And James, you explained it already. I mean, the guy was just too good for the level at low A, and the talent right now isn't what it used to be in full season professional league now that the short seasons have been eliminated. So you see a lot of guys from you know who should really be playing in rookie affiliates or in extended spring or in the ACL playing at full season single A, low A, and Christian Mena, who throws predominantly off-speed pitches, is getting those players out. So now the White Sox need to test them at advanced A. And we really like Christian Mena because of the makeup. But that's a really interesting nugget, what uh, what Bill Mitchell had to say, especially regarding his pitch mix. The fastball needs to be incorporated more, and it also needs to gain velocity in order for it to really be effective as a major league starter, if we're talking that far down the line. Yeah, and that's going to be the biggest thing. And I think one of the biggest questions is, like, are the White Sox the organization to to tap into some of these power gains, right? Like, he he's his breaking ball is great, but he's going to have to be throwing harder than 91, 92, like as he advances through here. So yeah, we'll see. I, we're fairly high on Christian Mena. I think some people will see, you know, once our list releases, um, he's a favorite of ours for sure. So, you know, in regards to some of the other pitching quickly, everybody saw where Baseball America has the, the draft picks ranked. I just, I think that looking at Noah Schultz, like we have to really look into like what Noah Schultz looked like recently, right? Because that's what the White Sox saw when they were watching him in the summer league and he was absolutely awesome. So I get like some of the upside with him that the White Sox are looking at. I think he ranks a little bit higher than maybe some publications are going to have him. 
There you have it. James Fox doing all the things that he does as the lead editor over at Future Socks and also contributes to SocksMachine.com. Follow, of course, not only our podcast, the Future Socks podcast. Subscribe to Socks Machine. Josh Nelson and Jim Margulis do an outstanding job every week, almost every day, talking Chicago White Sox baseball. And here we are for you on the Future Socks podcast, dropping episodes every Tuesday. So until next week, for Bill Mitchell and James Fox, my name's Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you all next time.